0: I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And And we're we're The the Trade Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this episode of The Trade Guys, the roller coaster ride of trade policy in the United States continues. President Trump now says that it's unlikely that his face-to-face with Xi Jinping will happen by the end of the month. So what gives? Plus, we'll talk about fentanyl and the role that it plays in the US-China trade deal. And the USMCA faces an uphill battle in Congress. There's not an agreement there yet, but well-connected Republican operatives launched a lobbying group that's slated to spend more than 10 million to push the deal through. Will this effort shift the needle? We'll talk about all that and more on this episode of The Trade Guys. Gentlemen, the U.S.-China trade war continues. There were some early negotiations this week that don't appear to be leading to much. They're really designed to lay the groundwork for the heavy-duty guys, uh, Lighthizer et al., who are coming in later this week in Beijing. What's going on here? There's a fentanyl card. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. What's happening?
1: They're dancing around, you know, trying to get to... uh the outlines of an agreement, I think most of us have figured out that the real negotiation will be at the end and it will be when the president meets with Xi Jinping because-
0: Which is an undetermined, we don't know when uh, they're meeting.
1: Time and place are undetermined, uh, but I'm not worried about that. I mean, I I think, you know, we've said this before, Trump has created a situation where he's his own US trade representative. Uh, He'll make the final decisions. Wait, time time out,
0: uh, Scott, Bill is not worried about something with trade and President Trump, well, is is, a is this is a first thing? I think he wanted to
2: say he's not worried yet because <laughs> it's, it's still too early to get worried about this. <laughs> it's, we, panic, it's too soon to panic. It's too soon yes. to panic. Too we, soon to panic. We've got to get right. much closer to the deadline to panic. And clearly the markets uh, are pricing in some optimism today, yeah. uh, both about the government continuing to operate and and getting a deal on the, oh. this year's financing. Right, today is Tuesday ch- morning and markets are way up. Yeah, and uh, so there's optimism on China. I, I would note that all the photos of the U.S. negotiating they're really badly composed or they just look exhausted. So that's for me a good sign. They don't look like happy people. They, well, you I'll tell you, when you go to the face to face negotiations, you work incredible hours. I've always been impressed, as many critics there are as there are out there of government workers and their and their schedules and, and their benefits. Our trade negotiators work day and night. They pull all nighters routinely to get the job done. And so and the photos from from the scene look like that's what they've been
1: doing. So,
0: so are they are working on a, a smaller agreement that could pave the way for a larger agreement? What's happening No, no. Here, I
1: think they're working on, on the larger agreement. I, I, the, the point of this stage and this level is to try to narrow the issues and clear away as much of the simple stuff as you can, knowing that, that uh, I mean, with this president in particular, uh, you want to narrow the issues dramatically so he doesn't have that many things to decide. But that's always the way it works with every president. You don't go to a summit meeting with 24 issues on the table. You, know, well, you go with three or four. So think of, think of this as a process of creating a framework. So think of it as
2: a, as a, as a matrix or, or an, an accounting book where we're listing the issues, we're listing what we agree can be done about the issues, and then list how and when we'll know when things are done. So that's what they're sketching out now. And uh, I think that particularly uh, Ambassador Lighthizer and his team are very focused on making sure whatever we get in terms of an agreement to to deal with the issues that have been raised for a long time, we want to be able to know that China is taking action and, and know when the actions actually have the effect we're looking for.
1: I think the outlines of the package, in a gross sense, have been clear for a long time. There's going to be three parts. And uh, the first part is market access. They're going to buy more stuff. And the negotiation, I think, so far has been mostly the Chinese making offers about what they'll buy and the Americans saying, we want more. And eventually there will be a number uh, or a volume uh, that will be fairly detailed. It won't just be more. It'll be more this many planes and this many soybeans and this many and so on. That's the easy part. The next part has been the Americans trying to get out of the Chinese commitments on the structural issues that we've raised, the intellectual property protection, the subsidies, the state-owned enterprises, all the things that we argue has disadvantaged uh, American companies trying to do business uh, against the Chinese in third countries and also in China, and really distort the trade rules. And then the third basket, which I think they're probably starting to talk about now is um, compliance and enforcement of the latter. Because I know the American negotiators fundamentally do not believe the Chinese will keep their word. And there's some basis for believing that they won't keep their word. So if you're suspicious that they're going to renege, then you want to build in a bunch of things like deadlines. So agreement an agreement that says, by this date, you'll do X. By this next date, you'll do Y. And this third date, you'll do Z. And we get to send people over to watch to make sure you're doing it. That's monitoring. And if you don't do it by these dates, then we can take certain specified actions without you retaliating. It's sort of a snapback. We yeah. can we can go back to the tariffs. If we lift them, we can add new
2: tariffs. Yes, that expression, snapback, has found its way into these talks. And usually it is it is and we saw it coming and we, yes that's right and Bill, bill's right this is when you're not fully confident in what you that your your counterparty is going to do what they promised to do and so you you insert a measure that if it's observable that they haven't done it you get to go back you get to basically raise tariffs or or take a take an action that changes the terms of trade without them retaliating thus the snapback right when I
1: was in the government, I, this is a one I had to do something that Should we involved. get
0: hats that say "Snapback" on them? That
1: could be kind of cool. It would be better than MAGA. Or I give give care. out <laughs> we can give out snapback
2: merit badges when All right. these things happen. Okay, yeah. Snapback, yeah. you can
1: have a little turtle on it, you know, yeah. sort of the snapping turtle thing, and uh, that's cute. Wearing a little hat. This is getting good. Yeah. We can we can
2: add those to the trade guys merchandise. Uh, uh, site yes, go to yes. the yes. website. Yes. With yes. hats yes. and bobbleheads and, and coffee mugs. There the, you go. This would be
1: trade guys swag. We do
2: yes. have a
0: trade guys website, and you can find that at tradeguys guys uh, at csis.org.
2: So we'll, we'll have to put some effort into the design of the snapback coffee mug.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think I'll work on Thai design too, but anyway, when I had to do this with them, the, the Chinese don't like that kind of thing because for them it's a violation of sovereignty.
0: They don't like the snapback because they, they don't, it, they it, don't impl- like it implies ahead of time that we don't trust them.
1: They don't like monitoring and enforcement mm-hmm. because they view it as an intrusion on their sovereignty. My job when I was doing export controls was we would occasionally want to send somebody over there uh, we had licensed an export, and we needed to make sure that it was where it was supposed to be and that it was doing what it was supposed to do mm-hmm. and that it was not doing something different. And the license usually contained a requirement that that happen. The Chinese hated that because they viewed American government officials coming inside China, going to private companies on their own and asking questions as an intrusion on their sovereignty. that's though, is what Lighthizer is going to try to get in this agreement. And, you know, it's not really that big an intrusion on their sovereignty, but they get very upset about it. I think that's going to be a substantial part of the the end game of the negotiation, getting stuff in there that will satisfy Ambassador Lighthizer that even if they cheat uh, or don't fulfill their commitments, then we are protected on the downside. What about this fentanyl card, though?
0: I mean, fentanyl, as many Americans know, took nearly 50,000 lives in the United States in 2017 alone, fentanyl being the powerful painkiller, and a lot of it's coming from China. So how does that play out in this agreement? President Trump's been talking about it this week.
1: Yes. Well, I've, I've been tempted to say it's China's revenge for the opium war, and uh it's also a not a lot
2: to that. It may be, but more importantly, it is. It's not clear to me how connected this is to the commercial disputes that uh, that Ambassador uh, Light has or well. others are negotiated. So that may be something that that you could help me with as well as our listeners.
1: I think that there's not a direct link that the Chinese made a vague commitment yes. to to. Uh, To criminalize this and and to uh, not permit it, I think. But if they
0: if they designate it as a controlled substance in China, that means that anyone who sells it is subject to the death penalty. So this is serious stuff in China.
1: If they enforce it, it's serious stuff. Um, That's good PR for them. You know, this is an opioid. It's caused countless tragedy all over the world, not just in the United States, but significantly here. For them to make a commitment like that uh, is a constructive and positive thing for them to do. Why does it play into this? I think it plays into this for a couple reasons. One, uh, they will probably expect to be paid for it in the negotiations, we did this for you, now here's something you need to do for us. Uh, And second, if talks break down, uh, and then they decide for internal reasons, and there will be some, not to enforce it, even though it's on the books, then they'll blame the breakdown and the talks for their own decision. What they promised is probably driven by their desire to do something for Trump and to smooth the talks. Whether they actually enforce it or not will be driven by internal Chinese politics. And if it turns out that the people that are selling fentanyl are major leaders of the party— or their nephews or cousins or you know brothers-in-law do we think that's likely? Well, it's not unheard I, of I don't know but yes, it's not unprecedented at all uh, then enforcement gets very difficult very quickly and mm-hmm. if they decide to not enforce it, it will the, the the truth is it will be because of that you know what they will say is it's because the Americans didn't. Didn't pay, or because we couldn't reach an agreement. I mean, they're they're very good at blaming, at doing what they want to do anyway, and then blaming it on on us. So, what's likely to happen on or before March first?
2: Well, I think one of the things uh, that we ought to watch carefully is what happens in North Korea. We talked about this a little bit last sure. week, but which is which is essentially timed identically with this perhaps by accident, but now these events are linked in terms of the president's schedule and in terms of uh, sort of the country's foreign policy agenda. And of course, China has a big role in in the behavior and, and, and any resolution of issues on the Korean Peninsula. So I think we just watch this play out, but I hope the, the our negotiators create a framework that is solid enough to present to the boss, that they get some rest on the plane back, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out, it's, it's still early.
1: My fearless forecast would be that they don't quite get to the end, and they know they don't have to because the end will be when Trump and she meet, right. and they apparently are not going to be able to meet before March second. So, the the good outcome here will be they get enough of the ground groundwork accomplished, they tee it up to a narrow number, of, uh, a relatively narrow number of issues, and then they punt for a week or so until the Trump-Xi meeting takes place. and
2: Basically, these are the things the boss has to solve. Yeah, and here are the so. two or
1: three things that, that you have to deal with. And then they have the summit meeting. And then at that point, I think it actually still, at that point, it's a toss-up. The Chinese are not going to give the American side what they want entirely. So the president is going to have to, to decide at the end if he has enough to reach an agreement. We know that if he says yes, then it will be the greatest agreement that ever happened and he'll spend the next six months bragging about it. But I think it's, you know, he might very well say no. He might very well say there is not enough here to justify me going back and bragging about it. Yes, I would say the habit for
2: President Trump has been to uh, try to get exert maximum leverage. Complain, moan, criticize, dramatize how bad things are, and then when the half of half a loaf shows up, he takes it exactly and glorifies he it as the best loaf ever.
0: All right, so we'll have to see. And something that we're also going to have to see about is NAFTA. Trump loves the new NAFTA. Congress doesn't love the new NAFTA. Trump views this as another signature victory that he could point to um, when he's up for re-election in two thousand twenty. What's happening in Congress? There's some real divisions there and doesn't look like we'll get a deal.
1: There are divisions, but I I think you have – this is another one of many in which you have to give the trade guys credit. It's playing out so far. Give the
0: trade guys a lot of credit, yes. (laughs) It's
1: playing out so far exactly as we predicted. I mean Scott and I, I don't think we agree on the end game, but right now it's predictable. The Democrats have said it's not good enough. And we knew they were going to say that. It doesn't go
0: far enough to protect workers and the
1: environment. Well, and what that has encouraged is everybody to crawl out of the woodwork and focus on their particular inadequacy. So there are some people that are upset about drug prices. There are conservatives who are upset about LGBTQ provisions. There is the speaker who is concerned about labor and enforcement. So there's a, a range of, of, of things.
0: Republicans think it's re, it's too restrictive. And a lot of yes. firms
1: and associations
2: asked for things and didn't get them. So they still have yes. demands to be met.
1: And the dairy people are, are grumbling a little bit. Uh, in the end, this, is, this has to get narrowed down. And it will. Uh, I think one concern, and I had a conversation yesterday that increased this concern, is... Whether the leadership, that in this case the House Democratic leadership, um, can contain all this and and focus it down to a relatively small number of items that, and basically send the message to Ambassador Lightizer, uh, you know, if you can give give these th- get these things, then we're going to look favorably upon this. And it's not going to be forty things. It's going to have to be three or four. And it's not clear to me that the leadership is. Quite ready to or prepared to do that. Well, what are these things? I do think they want to do it.
0: What What are the things? Like, what are some? Of, give I us think what, some examples. I think the easy,
1: the main thing they want, and actually the easiest thing to get. Um, is stronger enforcement language uh, on uh, Mexican labor laws. That's what uh, Trumpka and Hoffa and leaders of the, uh,
2: of American labor movement would like to see most.
1: If you listen to the speaker and and most of them actually, uh, they've been very careful not to say this is impossible. We're not going to do it. End of story. They have consistently said. Pelosi actually said this is an agreement that would be easier to vote for than the last one, but it is not ad- it is not adequate. It's not good enough, and that's been their message. Not that lost cause, but if you fix it, mm-hmm. the implication is, not all of us, but some mm-hmm. of us will vote for it. So I think there's a bunch of Democrats that want to get to to yes. The problem, which, is, uh, which Scott has pointed out uh, very well and previously, has been that Trump can screw all this up by preemptively uh, announcing that he's going to withdraw from current NAFTA. And I think It's possible to weather that particular storm. But I have to say there will be a whole boatload of Democrats if he does that saying we need to react by pulling the plug, changing the rules, blocking the vote. Massively increasing the degree of difficulty
2: for passage. But look, if this were – if Trade Guys were a children's book, Bill would be the happy lucky tigger and Scott would be Eeyore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when it comes to USMCA. This I'm could be still more merchandise Eeyore.
0: for the website, I'm by still the way.
2: Eeyore on this one. And I'm Eeyore basically for the way that this thing has been managed to date by the Trump administration. My take all along is trade agreements are hard work. They require a grassroots effort, and you have to build the grassroots support for the agreement piece by piece, starting with the negotiating objectives and continuing all the way through to the end. My sense is the Trump administration thought they were special. They thought they didn't have to do that. Is, it, is this why business leaders are grumbling that they don't think the president has a winning strategy on this? I think that's part of it, yes. Because a lot of them were either either A, not consulted, or B, actively ignored and ridiculed uh, during the setting of the negotiating objectives, during a lot of the negotiation. They were basically, the, the administration was quite hostile to uh, many business associations uh, and and ignored their input and, uh, and treated them as if they were not that we're not ever going to be a partner in this and they the administration may have thought they had another plan but now it looks to me like they need them and uh, I, my experience on the hill is that it's a big difference between a trade association sending a letter saying yeah we we kind of support this and and having constituents go into a member's office and talk about the the real the reality of the agreement and why it's important to them and essentially advocating for the agreement in a way that persuades the member to get off neutral, to get off undecided. Bill, what do you think?
1: I think Scott's right that that there is a difference. What I see, and I've I've gone to some of the meetings of the big business coalition that's forming, is it's classic. Business comes to the party late, uh, but when they finally get there, they come well-armed and well-prepared. My sense is they are gearing up to support this. I mean, all the grumbles that Scott described are correct. They're they're, they're, they're not happy. They're grumbling. But they're going to be 100 percent behind it, and uh, they're going to show up at the right time and do their best to make a difference. Uh, and they're going to do it grassroots, and they're going to do it here on the Hill. There's this new group that was announced, what, yesterday or last week? Right. A new lobbying group. Uh, yeah, a new lobbying group, which comes out of really the administration because Mark Short was – Trump's congressional affairs guy and I guess the other guy worked for the Republican Governors Association. So Uh, this is
0: a lobbying group the Republicans hired, or it's a Republican lobbying group. I don't know if they
1: hired it, but it's it's not the U.S. Chamber. It's not the the U.S. Chamber typical business roundtable coalition. That is happening also. Yeah. And you'll you will hear about that. And it would be really convenient if we'd all heard about it a month ago and it was a smoothly oiled machine sending Balls down the alley, knocking over all the congressional pins.
0: Guys, explain what this lobbying group is, why it was
1: formed, and why it's necessary. I don't know why it was formed. I think I think what Mark Short had said. Well, they're, at one they're worried point... it's not going to pass. Well, well yes, deservedly <laughs> so. Yeah, and that there's
2: there is a need for building grassroots support.
1: Well, wouldn't you say, Scott? They formed it because they don't they don't believe the business community will deliver.
2: Uh, that may be their thinking, but I don't know. I don't. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to speculate, but uh, but clearly they must have felt a need other than the existing or the, the usual coalition efforts by the Farm Bureau, yeah. or the Business Roundtable, and the Chamber of Commerce.
1: And that kind and, of supports what Scott was saying earlier. If yeah. you're suspicious that those guys are not going to show up and and you know beat everybody over you're the gonna head, you're going to
2: try to do it yourself. You're going to try to yeah. build a better mousetrap and yes. make it happen. And, and look, this is the way Washington works. It's why lobbyists are part of the First Amendment and. Uh, people do what they do to uh, to make their views known, and that's 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 why our system works the way it does. So I'm I'm happy to see them arrive, and I'll be very interested to watch whether they work and play well together with the other supporters of the agreement, or whether they carve their own path. We'll we'll find out. And we can say that because
1: we were both lobbyists yes. at one point,
0: right? So all this is designed to bring about a signature win for President Trump. What what should his next steps? be in building congressional support for this deal?
1: To me, the best thing he can do is shut up and let let Lighthizer manage the process. Lighthizer worked up there. uh, I wouldn't characterize the relationship he's had as as smooth, but uh, I think there's a lot of respect for him, respect for his knowledge. I think increasingly people are believing that he shows up, he listens, he doesn't always do what they want. Uh, but he's got a better sense of how to tactically move something uh, up there than than the president does.
2: Yes, yeah, so th- I think the president has to delegate his USTR badge to the USTR at least for this process, uh, because uh, as Bill points out, Ambassador Lighthizer is a pro at this. He's he's done it before. He'll figure out how to do it. And I think at this point, because it is a signature initiative, because it was a campaign promise in 2016, uh, that that the 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 less the president personally involves himself. With, a, with the Democrats in Congress, the more likely he is gonna have a successful ending.
0: By the way, this, this lobbying group we were referring to is called Trade Works for America, and it was co-founded by Phil Cox, former executive director of the Republican Governors Association, and as you said, uh, former senior White House official, Mark Short.
1: Scott just said something that was important. One of the reasons why he might end up being right, and I would end up being wrong on this.
0: This is Er versus Tigger. This is
1: Er versus Tigger. This is one <laughs> reason why Er might be right is that the Democrats might ultimately conclude they simply don't want to give Trump a victory. Just like right. the wall. Uh, on anything. Right. Just like the Republicans did that to Obama right. for eight years.
0: This is a big win he can point to for 2020.
2: Um, if it goes through well he will point to it and it will be part of 2020 it won't be campaign. that big a win for, it's not that big a win but he'll definitely point to it it's a promise that he kept and that's i think
1: and what, what the, is 2020 and he campaign can hype is. it up as a big win well, whether it is or not oh, yes. and to the extent that he personalizes it uh and to the extent that he leads the fight it pushes democrats to to oppose it um if he keeps his mouth shut and let lighthizer lets lighthizer do it that increases the possibility that it will be actually considered on the merits uh, and not on the politics. And people will recognize that, that it, uh, modest though it is, it makes sense to do it. But if it's fought out on, you know, I need this, you have to do this for me, that's going to make it much, much harder.
0: Well, for Eeyore and Tigger, that leaves me being Winnie the Pooh. Until next time. <laughs>
2: Fair enough. <laughs> Bring the honey jar the next time is all I have to That's say. That's right. Useful container to put things in. Will do.
0: Will do. <laughs> to our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to The Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thanks, Thank you. Andrew. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.